I'm glad to welcome you here to our Sunday School devoted to God's church. This is lesson number 10. We'll be thinking about witness and missions. Just to let you know, this will be the last lesson on on this subject. And as a reminder, we've been looking at the means of grace. That's our theme for the year. And I have wanted to especially look at the corporate means of grace, the way that the Lord blesses us in the body of Christ. Um, and, uh, and witness and missions is a part of that. And I want to just introduce that in two ways. One is to say I'm very thankful to take up this subject because it's, it is near and dear to my heart mostly because uh, I, I'm grateful for the fact that, that God has worked to bring salvation to us and to me personally. Uh, we, we worship a, a God who is holy, 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 and we are not able to come into his presence unless he would do something to save sinners. And it's an in, incredible gift. And I long for that gift to be shared with others. And so out of love for God and uh, appreciation for what he's done, I want to share that joy with others. And I want the church to share that joy with others as well. But I also, uh, by way of introduction, want to say that evangelism and, and missions is often narrowed down to a, a, a personal sharing of your testimony or personal exercise of of sharing the gospel with others. There's a place for that. Much like I've been saying, there are private means of grace that are are very important in your life. I'll say that personal evangelism is also good. It, uh, I'll, I'll be underlining that some in this lesson today. But in the in the context of this class, I want to say that there is a corporate way in which the Lord uses the church to uh, to take the gospel to our community and and around the world. And so, uh, as I go through these points today, I'm going to be thinking about uh, just how is it that God blesses us so that we might take the gospel to the ends of the earth. By way of definition, then, let me also give you a definition that comes from um, a book on missions by a a man named Dr. Young. Uh, A really good book on missions, by the way. He says that missions is the work of the triune God through his church of sending Christ's ambassadors to all nations to proclaim his whole word for the salvation of lost men, the establishment of indigenous churches, and the coming of God's kingdom, all for the glory of God. So within that definition, you hear some things that you may be, uh, uh, may be very familiar with, that uh, God is at work bringing sinners to himself, through the proclamation of the gospel around the world. And, uh, and those are things that are, are part of our evangelism, part of our witness and missions. But the thing that drew me to this definition is that, uh, that it does indeed emphasize that it is the work of his church to do this. 
and uh, members of that church carry the, the gospel uh, in their lives around them and uh, personal testimonies and evangelism. Uh, there are missionaries that go, but uh, again today, the work of the church is, is in front of us, and I want to set that there. So we'll look at uh, several uh, of these ideas of what it is that we proclaim and I want to be thinking about how that's true individually, but also true on a corporate level. And then, uh, again, since this is a, a, a class that's especially focusing on the means of grace, to think about how that's a, a blessing to us as well. So a very, uh, uh, very fundamental understanding of the gospel is that we proclaim the good news of salvation. We'll look at a couple of verses here to start us off. Would someone take Psalm 96.2, Henry, and Isaiah 52.7? I got uh, Greg first. Mark, you can take the next one, Psalm 104.24. While I'm at it, who will take Isaiah 40? Jeff. Good. So we'll begin with the first two, Psalm 96.2. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. So that's pretty straightforward. There's good news of his salvation that's being proclaimed. And Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Very good. So again, very straightforward. There's a proclamation that's taking place there, and the proclamation is is good news. And it really is good news, isn't it, that our sins, though they condemn us and bind us up in slavery and shame us and are part of the deadness of our own hearts, have been taken away by the Lord Jesus Christ by the sacrifice that he has given of his own life, taking the wrath that we deserve so that we have salvation. And that really is good news. Uh, it, is, uh, it is often promoted as the most important activity or the most important goal of the church or of the Christian life is that you be engaged in missions. But... Uh, I want you to remember back several months ago now as we began this study that, that we looked at especially the essential aspect of the church as being that of worship and how that is a, a means of grace. And it, uh, missions are important because it, uh, it brings people into the, into the, the worship of God. Uh, but missions have often been elevated to be kind of the reason for existence for the church. But I want to read a couple of quotes from John Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad. Uh, it's a theology of, of missions. And, and he, he has a way with words, uh, if you know John Piper. So uh, he has uh, summarized things really well when he says, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate and not man. 
And in saying that, I, I want you to see how, how that proclamation of the good news is, uh, is a means to the end of drawing people into fellowship with God, to worship him. It is churchly. It is focused on drawing people to the body of Christ as it assembles together to, uh, to give glory to God for, for what he has done. So it is focused not on itself. Uh, it's not focused on, uh, on making missions the reason for existence. It's focused on how missions serve the purpose of drawing people to Christ. Now, there is a place for missions, and uh, Piper goes on to say that in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples and the greatness of God. Uh, I didn't count the characters there, but that's really tweetable, isn't it? <laughs> the idea of bringing people into the white-hot enjoyment of God. And that's what worship is. It's a giving glory to God, enjoying what he has done, acknowledging his greatness. So uh, the, the aspect of the corporate nature of witness and the corporate nature of evangelism and missions is that it is driving us to, or that, uh, the missions are driving us to to God himself and to worshiping him um, along with the other people uh, of God. So uh, as we think about the corporate nature, um, uh, think of our worship service as something of a, of a beacon of light of that good news that is being proclaimed in Jesus Christ. We, in the midst of our service, are going to, uh, to directly tell that there is only one Savior, and that is Jesus, and that the guilt of our sin is a burden that you can't escape from, and that there is a, is a way that you may escape from that. And you can hear that in many different ways and many different forms uh, throughout the midst of our service. So, for instance, we confess our sins in our prayers, we celebrate the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. We honor him by our praise and our worship. We do this in remembrance of me. We're celebrating the Lord's Supper, which is a proclamation until Christ comes again, that there is a savior. So evangelism can be practiced by, by nurturing in you and in and your family a love to come to church, a love to to be a part of the worship, and to uh, to help your help your children understand that, have a, a a real desire to be here that rises out of out of delight rather than than duty. Do you know what I mean by that? Uh, think of a vegetable that you don't like. 
uh, I won't go on record here of uh, vegetables I don't like, but uh, you, you probably can all think of at least one. And if it's set before you, you'll eat it because you have to. <laughs> you won't even eat it. <laughs> uh, there's some honesty right there. <laughs> uh, but think of something that you do like to eat. Uh, ice cream or steak. And when it's set in front of you, boy, you just, you just dig in. There's a difference between duty and delight. And you'll communicate that to your family, uh, to the people around you about the way you approach coming to church. If it's your delight, that's going to, there's going to be this overflow. Today is a day that, uh, that I get to go to church. And you can elaborate reasons for that. But if you approach it like, oh, I, I, can't, uh, uh, I can't come watch the game today. i got to go to church. Wow. That communicates something too, doesn't it? Uh, that communicates uh, a duty that is distasteful rather than a proclamation of good news. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation day to day. A delight that uh, that comes from, uh, from worship. Well, this comes through as well in Isaiah 40, verses 25 and 26. To whom then will you liken me, or to whom shall I be equal, says the Lord? Lift up your eyes on high, and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number, who calls them all by name by the greatness of his might, the strength of his power, transforming And I skipped over Psalm 104, 24. Sorry about that. Let's hear that one too. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. In our worship, in our praise, we, uh, we are glad. We meditate on the greatness of God and what he has done for us. We proclaim that. We own it. We experience it. And in a corporate sense of evangelism, as you uh, think of, uh, of drawing near to God and the blessing that that is to you, there's that means of grace. Uh, it's overflow to others as you invite them to join in. Uh, secondly, proclaim reconciliation. We'll start with a verse again here at 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. We'll take that. Rachel, thank you. And... Uh, and a little bit, Jeremiah 3.12. Thanks, Greg. So let's hear 2 Corinthians 5.20 and 21. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, and so God will impede through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For we, we make him who know, knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The message that God has given to us is a message of reconciliation. Reconciliation happens when there's brokenness, something that has driven parties apart. The gospel, or the good news, starts with 
the truth of that bad news that there that we are alienated from God because of our sin and that we fall short of the glory of God, that we are under his wrath and curse, but then tells of how that brokenness may be healed through faith in Jesus Christ. The, the great proclamation of the gospel is part of what we have experienced once you were not a people, once you were not loved by God, once you were under his judgment, but now you are a people of God, you are loved, you are brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's a great a greatness and a goodness, as I've already said in point one, but there, I want you to hear an example from history that comes in Jeremiah 3.12. The Lord proclaimed these words toward the north and say, Return, backbiting Israel, says the Lord. I will not cause my anger to fall on you, for I am merciful, says the Lord. I will not remain angry forever. This is... Uh, speaking in the context of the Old Testament, you might remember that the one nation of Israel uh, was divided into north and south, and the north uh, was uh, rebellious or almost from the offset and turned away and were eventually went into captivity. But through Jeremiah, God gave a good news, uh, a good message to go and tell them, uh, I will not cause my anger to fall on you, for I am merciful. I will not remain angry forever. So there's that blessing of forgiveness. There's the proclamation of reconciliation that has happened because of sin and rebellion. Just think about that proclamation in our world today. I don't imagine you have any doubts that the world wrestles with hopelessness. You may even be able to think of, of examples of that. Uh, many have, uh, many approach, um, approach their life wondering whether or not there's even a reason to go on living. We are plagued with, um, uh, with a, a rise in in anxiety, uh, rise in uh, in, in uh, depression, in drug abuse, in uh, suicide, and just a casual look at music and film and the news will give you a glimpse of the terrible power of despair because of our sin that has alienated from a, alienated us from God. Into this darkness shines the, the light of the gospel. And a part of our proclamation is that, is that there is forgiveness of sin and reconciliation to God. There is uh, reconciliation individually, and there's reconciliation corporately. In worship, again, we, uh, we rejoice in this and, and we praise God for it. 
but there's also an aspect of that reconciliation that uh, I've emphasized the vertical, our relationship to God, but there is also a reconciliation that happens in between brothers and sisters in Christ. You can think of all of those New Testament passages that talk about how, how, how the church is the body of Christ. I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as a, as a for instance, you can read that on your own, about how uh, all of the parts of the body are fit together and are designed to work together. And that's that part of reconciliation that is on on uh, on the on the corporate level that is enjoyed and is a testimony to the reconciliation that we have with God. Um, it's signified as well in the Lord's Supper. Uh, use that as an example again today, since we're celebrating that. In the Lord's Supper, we 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 are reminded that my sins are forgiven because Christ's body has been given for me. But uh, there is also uh, the aspect of, of the, the entire body of Christ that is being redeemed. And we, we celebrate this together as brothers and sisters. So there is reconciliation to each other. And in his book on uh, devoted to God's church, Sinclair Ferguson makes the, I think, a really wonderful application in this area to to say that there are ways that uh, the, uh, the church as a body can invite others in to to witness what is happening amongst the brothers and sisters in Christ and that that is a is a witness to them so there is something about are having a fellowship lunch together that has an aspect that is really wonderful and good that feeds our bodies. But there's more to it than that. Uh, I want you to think about the aspect of sitting around a table together with, uh, with people that are uh, maybe very different from you and yet deliberately sitting with them so as to say, you're my brother, you're my sister, and I want to know about you and your life and how things are going, how can I pray for you, uh, what's been taking place this week. Our fellowship together is an indication of that reconciliation that has to happen because of Christ. Otherwise, we just tend to fly apart. Even with Christ, we tend to fly apart, right? We have to work hard at maintaining this type of fellowship because we can be easily offended or offend others. And, the, uh, uh, and to break fellowship with each other. But the blessing that we receive of being reconciled to God can also be a witness to others as they look and see uh, uh, how in the world is it that these people can come together like this? Uh, so think, think about some of these mundane aspects of the life of the congregation that are indeed a testimony, and then think, you know, is there a way I can draw others into that?
there are other things that we do on this scale. We, we sometimes have picnics. We have uh, service projects that we do together uh, that draw in others. Um, we try to do things in the uh, in, in the full light of day so that others might join in. And, and th- there's an observation of that reconciliation that takes place. Uh, one other illustration. A few years ago, uh, uh, the Reformed Presbyterian Church in Cyprus gave uh, an astounding report at, uh, at our synod meeting. They are positioned in the Mediterranean so that there are a lot of refugees that come to Cyprus. And they were remarking that as they were sitting around the Lord's Supper, that around the table there were, uh, there were people from several different nationalities all around the Mediterranean, some who were naturally enemies of each other. By their uh, by their national heritage, uh, so there were Kurdish individuals, there were former Jews, there were other Arabs. They were all sitting together as brothers and sisters uh, at the Lord's Supper, uh, and the testimony of that reconciliation is is astounding. I'll pause there and ask it any questions or comments about points one or two here. Dan. Yeah, I'd always, sports analogies are always good. Let's go on then to uh, proclaiming light in the midst of darkness, and um, hopefully this one is another uh, point. Uh, hopefully all of these points are like, uh, yeah, we know this. Uh, uh, this is what uh, evangelism and gospel is all about. But uh, as I elaborated on, as I elaborate on it, I want you to be thinking about what the uh, how that is taking place in a in a corporate fashion, not just in an individual fashion. So 
light and darkness. Uh, in the context of darkness, Jesus said to his disciples and says to the church, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are as, as individuals, but uh, you are also as the church, the light of the world. And God had originally set, uh, set the children of Israel in a specific spot in, in the ancient world so that it would be a light to the nations around it. And that was a commission that he gave to them that they failed at. And in their failure, Jesus took up the torch, so to speak, and said, I will send uh, my son and I will set him as a light uh, to the world. And that comes through in John eight twelve. Can I have a volunteer to read that, Henry? Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. This is a famous discourse that Jesus had with his disciples. Uh, the, the first had been in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, you are the light of the world. And now he directs attention to, uh, to himself as as being the source of the light that comes into the world, a light that we then reflect and share. As you think about the world standing in the darkness of sin and Jesus coming as light, the, the aspect of witness or evangelism and missions is abundantly clear that Light and life can only happen in relationship to Jesus. He has graciously offered himself as that light. He claimed to be the one and only light, the one and only way of deliverance from darkness. So when you get right down to it, who but God himself would or could make such a majestic claim that Jesus claims to be the one way of salvation. And this is, uh, this illustrates something that, um, that we are more than what we do. And I say that because oftentimes when we start to talk about evangelism, we talk about going and doing evangelism. And once more, I'll say there's a place for devoting time and effort to a particular task of evangelism. So this summer, we've taken opportunity to go distribute tracts in the, in the community. We were doing outreach or doing evangelism, beginning a conversation with people by sharing the word of God with them in written form. Uh, we may uh, sometimes go on campus. Uh, we may go door to door. Uh, we may have uh, group events that are evangelistic. But uh, the gospel is, is more 
what we are than what we do. And by, by saying that, uh, Ferguson summarizes in this way, is that the gospel is in words and in deeds. And they, they both are important, and they, they, they both need to exist together. In a sermon a couple weeks ago, I quoted from, from 1 Peter 2, live such good lives among, amongst the Gentiles that though they, though they persecute you for your good works that they observe you doing, that they may glorify God on the day of visitation. Your actions, your, you, the way you live, are a demonstration of the gospel and the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Later in chapter 3, Peter will say, uh, uh, be ready to give a defense of the hope that is in you when people ask you about that. So the asking implies that there's an observation that is there, that they see something. And what, what is it that they see? Well, they see light in you. They, they see hope they see something shining there that is, is different than the world in which they live. And so they come and they ask, why is it there hope in your life? What is the source of this light? And then the words come in. You need to be able to, to speak of that, to share the good news that happens. Well, that's on an individual level. But there's a corporate aspect of that, too, so that... Uh, who we are in Christ is, is brought together in, in all of the actions of, of the church, whether it be uh, worship or fellowship or outreach or service, that there is a light of who we are that shines in the midst of a, of a community. And my prayer is that... Uh, is that our congregation would be such a light that there would there would not be a cowering uh, because of the growing darkness of our society. We would not be afraid of any of the cancel culture that we might face. Um, Dave tried to cancel me this morning as he came in, but uh, you can ask him about that. <laughs> no, we we don't put our light under a basket. Uh, a city on a hill cannot be hid. And the church is that city on a hill. Corporately, uh, made up of those individual uh, testimonies. Uh, fourthly, proclaim an authoritative message. We'll read Luke 4, 18 and 19. Jeff, thanks. Sean, you can get the next one. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the This is Jesus speaking. He's talking about what he came to do as the Son of God and as the mediator, he is the one to authoritatively proclaim the salvation that he came to purchase. It is his right to do that. He is the Son of God, the King of Kings. 
He has authority to do that. As king, then, he has commissioned the church to go uh, go about this work as well. We read earlier from uh, from 2 Corinthians 5 how the Lord has made us to be his ambassadors. Uh, Let me just pause there and, and ask you to define what an ambassador is. Yeah, that's a simple, a very to-the-point definition. Someone who speaks for his country. An ambassador of the United States to another country goes and represents the United States. Uh, has the authority to, to speak on behalf of the, of the government of the United States, acting in the name of... Of the, of the president or of the, uh, of the Congress on behalf of the government. So the actions carry the, the weight of authority uh, behind them. And uh, because of that, uh, that wording that Paul uses there, I hope that you would see how the authority of Christ has then been given to the church to exercise as well. Um, We represent Christ individually and as a church. We represent him to the surrounding world. He has entrusted to you uh, his message. That comes through especially through the, uh, the preaching of God's word, that takes place in the context of worship. There is an authoritative uh, message that is carried by an authorized messenger that is proclaimed in the midst of worship. And that, uh, uh, that corporate proclamation is something that the Lord has invested with his grace and invested with his intent to bless. So there's another aspect of inviting others to hear and to see and to to witness what is taking place in the midst of the life of the congregation in worship. Uh, Ephesians 6, 19 and 20 uh, are are Paul's prayer for this type of of boldness uh, to share as well. And uh, Sean, could you read that please? That's the individual witness that Paul had, but uh, you, you get that sense of being an ambassador again. I'm almost out of time, and I'd like to finish up, so I'll go quickly through proclaiming the truth. There are lots of counterfeit churches in the world today, and uh, counterfeit churches that uh, that claim to have something of the gospel, but, uh, but lead people astray. Some of them are fairly 
obvious in the sense that that they are um, what we would call a cult. The Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, proclaim to be followers of Jesus Christ. But upon closer examination, what they teach is completely different from what the Bible says. They have their own other revelations alongside the Bible, and it all it leads them astray, and their uh, their their thoughts about how to go to heaven are uh, are often always devolving down into your own good works. Those are the obvious ones, but there are uh, many other substitutes for uh, thinking about how we go through life, how we uh, how we act, how we have hope, how we have uh, some sense of of eternal salvation. Um, so, uh, in our uh, uh, in the book that the book club is reading this summer, it's meditating especially on uh, some of the current doctrines of sexual identity and uh, identity politics and, and things like that. And uh, the, the, the way of that they interpret the world is to say, when you restrict my personal freedom to choose my own identity, that I am oppressed and I'm in bondage. And the salvation to that is to be free from all restriction, to pursue my own pleasure without condemnation or restraint. And the sad truth is that substitutes like this are really idols. They are false gods that have enslaved people to follow after them. So in the face of this, we proclaim the truth and we need to do so with clarity and uh, uh, with graciousness, uh, with boldness. And one aspect of that that, uh, that um, Sinclair Ferguson brings out is, uh, is the way in which you can invite people to explore what Christianity is all about. Uh, there, there are some that are are inquiring. There are some that, that know that the way they've been living is, is not the answer. There has to be something else. He makes reference to a, a, a program called uh, Christianity Explored, it's something that, uh, that, that I've looked into personally. And just before COVID, uh, we were getting ready to have something for for college students that, uh, that they might be able to come and, and take part in a Christianity Explored. COVID wiped that out. We may uh, try to revive that. Uh, the idea in that is that it, uh, is that it invites uh, people to come and have a meal together with, with others in the church. You invite people who are inquirers, come and explore, find out about Christianity. Here's the, Kind of behind the scenes, we're declaring the truth. We're doing so in, in the context of the body. And that there's that shared meal again that happens. And it's a setting that they can then watch a video and, and discuss questions that they have about it. Uh, so that's 
something to keep in mind as a um, as a way to proclaim truth to those who might be bound up in darkness. I'll leave um, I'll leave the last one in your hands. Proclaim personally and corporately. Uh, I've been doing that all the way through here. Uh, I'll just summarize my my thought on that again: is that uh, that you individually have been given, in a sense, a precious seed to go out and scatter, uh, to sow the seeds of the gospel. And you can do that individually by the way you live and the words that you use and the way that you talk about, uh, about your Savior and how you have been redeemed. You can do so as well by drawing people into the setting of the people of God where there is a corporate proclamation of these truths as well. So as I've done uh, throughout, I've been emphasizing especially the corporate, but there's a personal side to that. And I invite you to be thinking creatively about it, about how you might have individuals around you that may benefit to be brought into the context of the people of God. Uh, look for ways that that you might connect uh, others who are in need or who are in searching with other believers. Uh, it may be through service. It may be through, um, uh, through helping them when they have a specific need or uh, uh, inviting them to a fellowship event or to church itself. I'll be praying as well that the Lord would uh, bless uh, the witness of this church, both here and abroad. We didn't even get to international missions. Um, But uh, uh, that God would bless that witness by drawing others into that white-hot enjoyment of his presence. I'll close this in prayer. If you have other questions, you can come and talk to me afterwards. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the uh, the way in which you have taken away our heart of stone and you have given us the light of life in Jesus Christ. Lord, we want others to be drawn into that same blessed privilege that we have received. And so, God, we pray that you would make us a light. Uh, we are, by the very nature of, of who we are, and I pray, O oh God, that that light would shine in this dark place in Stillwater. And I pray, O oh God, that both corporately and individually, that we would be a witness to the watching world in our actions and in our words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.